Welcome to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast, where we bring you sermons from our teaching team at Flood Church, Lilongwe, Malawi. For more information, you can go to floodchurch.com. Nehemiah 13, verse 1 to 31. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incest and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions of the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashab had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responded, responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called on them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into their storerooms. I put Shalemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Pedaiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zaku, the son of Matania, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. In those days, I saw people in Judah trading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And, and they were bringing all this unto Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, discrediting the Sabbath day? Didn't your senses do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by discrediting the Sabbath? When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no Lord could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchandise and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. And I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, 
I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair and made them take an oath in God's name and say, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among other nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now, that, must we hear now that you two are doing all this terrible wickedness, are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Jair, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember then, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of, of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own tasks. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. God, we just pray this morning that we come before you, Lord, and as we jump into your word and just um, yeah, wanting to see your truth in this, we pray for your spirit to be here, that you open up our eyes and our ears, that we can hear from you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. What a story, hey? You know, after reading Nehemiah 13, I was like, it was better to finish this last week, you know? It was better to finish this last week. Because last week, uh, you know, Raph had a fantastic message talking about celebration, uh, you know, and how great it was, um, you know, like after they built and finished the wall, and it was just a fantastic time. There was food, there was celebration, dancing and singing. The wall is done. So it's like, yes, this is amazing. But then you read chapter 13, and you're like, come on, what's really going on? This is a shocking story. This is a very, very shocking uh, story. And I, and I wanted to kind of go into this and just looked into, uh, you know, three realities that we are finding in this story. Three realities. The shocking sin, the shocking truth, and the shocking grace. The shocking sin, the shocking truth, and the shocking grace. And let's start with the shocking sin. And when you're talking about sin... Uh, think about God wanting us to live in the right way, a way that, uh, you know, would bring beauty, uh, would bring, uh, you know, uh, goodness in our own lives. But then somehow we choose to live differently. And, uh, you know, the other way, the way of just choosing to live for ourselves, we end up uh, thinking that things will be fine, think things will be okay, but we end up in a chaotic situation, and, and often we end up in places that bring great sorrow. 
And sometimes living sinfully can, you know, look nice or feel nice. Uh, but that road eventually leads to chaos and great sorrow. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 13. And Nehemiah, by this time, after the war was built, Nehemiah, remember, he was working for a king in Persia called Artaxerxes. And so he goes back. Uh, because, you know, his mission is done. The war has been built. Uh, let me go back as I promised that I will go back to the king. So he goes back. Uh, and remember, he was the, the cup bearer. You know, he was testing the food before it gets to the king to see if the food is good. Also, if there's no poison in it. So he was like, let me test it first to see so that the king is safe. So he goes back, you know, to the king. And, and, and then he comes back. And you're looking at this story, you know, when... Uh, everything else looked fantastic. Everything else looked great. Because remember when we started this story, it started with devastation. But then there was hope. There was provision. Uh, God's goodness. Even though there was opposition, but there was victory in the middle of the opposition. And the war was built and done. And Nehemiah goes back. And now he's coming back. And things are not looking good back home. Probably he retired. And be like, you know what? I, I, there's something else. There's some, somewhere else I can go. So he comes back here. And things are not looking good. Now, for you to understand chapter 13, you need to go back three chapters and, uh, you know, look into chapter 10. You remember chapter 10 when we were talking about commitment, that these people had made certain commitments to God. You know, they had made a commitment to, uh, you know, honor the house of God. They made a commitment uh, to provide for the Levites and those that are working in the house of God. They made commitments to not engage into intermarriages. They made a commitment to keep the Sabbath. You know, these things, they, they actually said, everybody come on in. Let's uh, make these commitments. And they invited Nehemiah, the governor, and they invited priests and officials and nobles and everybody to be a witness, a part of this. But now you get into chapter 13 and you see that all the commitments they made, they are now breaking them. They are now breaking them. And first of all, they neglected the house of God. They neglected the house of God. If you read verse 4 and 5, it says, Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. And he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incest and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions of the priests. Do you guys remember Tobiah? I think one growth group told me that they changed his name to Tubadia. Tubadia. Do you remember, yeah? Tobiah was not for the people of Israel. He was against them. He was the one that was, you know, causing a lot of trouble and a lot of chaos, making it hard for them to build the wall. But guess what now? They have brought Tobiah in, and not only he's not just in the city, but they're saying we want him to dwell in the most holy place, the temple. Let's give him a room there. And now, whoever was staying in the room, they were either a priest or somebody who was working for the house of God. But for some reason, they're like, we're going to give room to Tobiah. Let him come through. Let him come. In fact, we're going to remove everything else that belongs to the house of God so that we can have room for Tobiah. And this did not please Nehemiah at all. So they neglected the very thing that they say they will keep, which is to not neglect the house of God. But also they stopped being generous to the priests and the Levites. Because remember, they made a commitment that the people that are working in the house of God, they don't have to work at all. 
we're going to provide for them so that they are paying attention to the things of God and we are the ones bringing food and taking care of them. But they stopped doing that. So what, what happens, uh, you know, in, in, in verse 10, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So they were not getting anything. They were not receiving anything. They are like, you know what? We don't want to die here. Let's go and work for ourselves and for our families. So they also went out instead of working in the house of God because the people were not being generous anymore to bless the Levites. So they, they go. And the people made a commitment that they will provide. And thirdly, they neglected the Sabbath. They neglected the Sabbath. Uh, verse 15 says, In those days I saw people in Judah trading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine grapes, figs, and all other kinds of lords. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore I warned them against selling food on that day. And I, in fact... Uh, Nehemiah actually takes them back to be like, guys, do you realize the reason why we actually went into captivity was because we neglected the Sabbath? Because the, the captivity, they stayed in captivity for 70 years. Now the Sabbath was that you would observe it every week, which is the seventh day of the week, but also you would observe it after seven years, you know, the seventh year, you will not farm your land. You will have the land rest and say, we have given this uh, year to God. It's a way of trusting God. Taking a Sabbath is a way that you're trusting God, that God will provide for you. So they neglected that. And for 490 years, their forefathers neglected the Sabbath. And uh, 490, you know, uh, divide by seven, makes it to 70. So God says, 70 years, you did not observe the Sabbath. Therefore, you're going to, observe it consecutively. So I'm going to send you into captivity for 70 years to observe the Sabbath. So they went into captivity. And now they have come back. In fact, this group, 25 years ago, you know, they have been in this land and they came back. So they would remember what it was like being in Babylon. But they neglected the Sabbath and did not observe it. And then they engaged into intermarriages. Now, I, know I married an Australian, you know. I'm, I'm Malawian, married an Australian. So I was like, hmm, what am I, you know. But, uh, but this is not what it was. What it was is like there were, there were you know, a specific groups of people that uh, God said, because God was building a kingdom for himself, a kingdom of people that can obey him, that can live by his laws. And he didn't want, you know, any other tribes to come in and begin to bring in foreign gods. That's what was actually happening. They were bringing foreign gods uh, into this. And remember, you know, the first commandment is you shall not worship any other god. You shall not worship any other god. And, uh, you know, for God to protect that community because he is building a, a community that will carry, uh, you know, his name. Uh, he said, do not engage into intermarriages. And they promised. They said, they made a commitment that we are not going to engage into intermarriages. And they did. And Nehemiah takes them back. He says, I, in fact, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bring the name Solomon. Do you remember Solomon? Solomon, you know, he had 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. A thousand women all to himself. Solomon. 
But do you know what happened to Solomon? Solomon, in the end, you know, uh, some of the women brought their own religion into his family. So, you know, some of them brought in foreign gods. And uh, in the end, he starts worshipping idols. He starts worshipping idols. So, Nehemiah says, just look back into Solomon, who was loved by God, the wisest man in the, on the earth, but see what happened to him. Look what happened to him. So Nehemiah is so shocked by their behavior that you made this commitment, now you have broken them. And he's extremely shocked. Now you don't find yourself neglecting what God wants for you just overnight. You don't find yourself on the highway of sin going 100 k's per hour just overnight. It starts, it's a gradual process. You know, it's a gradual process. Today was just a text. Next week is a phone call. The other time is going to be a meeting. And then you mess up. It starts gradual like that. Today, you just took a thousand kwacha. Next week is 10,000 kwacha. And then 100,000 kwacha. And then you find yourself in a cash get. You know, you don't just get there. You don't just get in there. It's, it's a gradual process. And I think we talked about here before that uh, you know our behavior of sin is like raindrops in a in a cap one drop does not seem to make a huge difference but then five drops then 10 drops 20 drops 100 drops and before you know it you're drowning in the sin you're drowning in the sin so how do we find ourselves in this and often i think we believe a lie we believe a lie. And the lie that we believe when we sin is that the rules do not apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. We see ourselves as invincible. I am untouchable. I am untouchable. This was the very reason why the Israelites were not able to make a connection between looking at what Solomon was doing and to see their own behavior and make a connection that this is how it's going to end. They were unable to do that. And the reason why they were unable to do that is because they believed a lie. That the rules do not apply to them. The consequences, they are above the consequences of sin. Yes, it happened to Solomon that he had a thousand women and that in the end he worshipped idols. I am not Solomon. I cannot worship idols. I can have a thousand women and still be fine because... That rule does not apply to me. I am above the consequence. Yes, our forefathers went into exile because they neglected the Sabbath. But we are not like that. We are not our forefathers. That rule does not apply to us. We are above the consequences. That consequence cannot happen to us. Of course, Tobiah is a dangerous man. Of course, you know, he can bring in chaos. But not for me. He can stay in the house of God. He can be a man that says, it will be fine. That does not apply to me. So every single time, you know, you, you engage yourself into sin, you, you are believing this lie. Of course, they got caught cheating, but I can cheat all I want. I'm never going to get caught because that rule does not apply to me. Of course, I heard that story that uh, he was, uh, you know, he was drunk when he was driving that car and got involved in an accident. You know what? That does not apply to me. I can drink all I want and get drunk all I want and still drive and I'll be fine because that rule does not apply to me. 
doesn't apply to me. Of course, he lost everything through gambling. But I can gamble all I want because that rule does not apply to me. I cannot lose everything through it. So I can do it because I'm above the consequences. The rules does not apply to me. I'm above the consequences of my own sin. And this rule is often enforced when we have seen that we are kind of getting away with it. You know, like uh, you do something and then there's like no consequence. You're like, of course, I'm above the rule. And then you, you do it again. And then you do it again. And all of us fall short. It's not every single time that we receive a consequence for every single bad that we do. And often it's God's grace, not his approval. He's not giving us license. He's hoping, I hope she's going to change. I hope he was going to change. 17, he says, I rebuke the nobles of Judah and say to them, why is this wicked thing, what is this wicked thing you're doing? So he's not pleased. And then he is rebuking and he's rebuking. And verse 21 says, I warned them, the people that were selling outside the gate. Remember those people that were selling stuff on the Sabbath? He says, I warned them. And what, what was the warning? I will arrest you. Now, now uh, NIV kind of like waters this down a little bit. Because when we are thinking about arrest, we are thinking about like, uh, you know, handcuffs. And then they come and say, uh, you know, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say is going to, might be used against you, you know? That, that line, this is not the type of arrest he's talking about. This is a Malawian type of arrest. You know, whereby you don't go clean to jail. You know, you are blessed with a five-foot ministry first. You know, there's other passages say, I will lay my hands on you. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. That's what Nehemiah is doing. You know, you can probably see like, uh, you know, where this is going. And then 25, he says, I rebuke them. And court curses down on them. These are the people that are engaging in two intermarriages. He says, I, not only did I rebuke them, but I cursed. I, I caught curses on them. But also, I beat some of the men. And then you can see it escalating. You know, like, first of all, just in the heart. Like, I was greatly displeased. And then I rebuked them. And then I warned them. I warned that I would beat you up. And then he beats people up. It's like, uh-oh, it's, you know, going up, you know. Escalating this thing. So he did. But not only did he beat them, he actually pulled hair. He put out hair. Their hair. He's like yanking people's hairs, yanking their beards. You know, because these guys have uh, no shave November all day and they're like, you know, just like yanking, you know, these guys. And then he says, I made them take an oath. I made them take an oath. Now, in chapter, in, uh, in chapter 10, it's like they are the ones saying, hey, let's make a commitment. Let's make an oath. But now he's like, I'm making you, you know, I'm making you to make an oath. And it's like, you know, he's like touching their ears, like make an oath to God, you know, shaking their heads. And then there was one guy, he just said, I drove him away from me. I didn't want to even want to face him. I just drove him away from me. It's shocking, isn't it? It's like, this is not the Nehemiah that we have known. The type of Nehemiah who was working and receives a letter from Tobiah of threatening him. And he's like, cool, I'm not going to go there. I have no beef with you. You can do whatever you want. I'm here doing great work. You know, this is, the, this is, a, this is different. 
Uh, this is so different. Now, I was thinking, like, why? Because I'm not recommending this to be the best way for us to do ministry here. You know, where we are beating people up, pulling their hair, arresting people because they are disobeying God. I'm not recommending that, so just get that, by the way. But I was just wondering, like, why do we have this story in Scripture? Why do we have a story like this where it's extremely shocking when you look at this? And, and I, when I, I began to like think about it, like, why would God allow this to happen? And I'm thinking that Nehemiah's shocking behavior was a means, was a means to shock the people into a realization of how deeply they were in, lost in their own sin. It was a shock, uh, you know, for the, to shock them out of, uh, you know, the place that they were in. And I'm one of those people, I have a, a secret tiny fear, which, uh, because it happens to me, I easily get zapped when I'm getting out of a car. Do you guys happen like, like those little shocks? Some of you, a couple of you happens? I'm the only one, oh yeah, a couple of people happens, you know? I'm getting out of a car, and then when I'm closing the door and then just zaps me, uh, or maybe I go to the gate and I'm trying to open it and it just zaps me, uh, you know, it, it happens a lot to me. So I learned a secret. If you want to learn about that secret, come and talk to me, uh, you know, for like 5,000 questions. But anyway, the secret is, the secret is when you get out of the car, make sure you don't touch any metal in that moment. And then you just have to touch your car firmly right away, like just like that. And then you're going to release it. That's the secret right there. But you know what? Being in there realized something about me uh, that I had to look into what's really going on. And these guys needed to be zapped out of their sin. They needed to be zapped out of it. And I guess looking into times that Jesus Christ has done some shocking things. You know, things that would consider to be shocking or say things that we would consider to be shocking that shocked people and to make them realize of how lost they were in their own sin and this is the truth that I see that Jesus shocks us with the truth to expose our misdirected affections Jesus shocks us with the truth to expose our misdirected affections you probably remember the uh, you know in uh, in, in Matthew, uh, you know, in, in Matthew 21, when Jesus Christ goes into the temple and he finds these people selling stuff in, in the house of God. And he comes in and begins to turn tables. He's like, get out of here. Why are you turning my house into a den of thieves, into a den of robbers? And that was not the Jesus they knew. He shocked them with the truth so that they can see the reality. That actually they love money more than they love God. He was shocking them with the truth. In Luke 18, you remember the story of the rich young ruler? You know, he comes to Jesus and says, what should I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you know, do you obey these commandments? He's like, oh, I do them all. And then he looks at him and says, go home, sell everything and give it to the poor. Now, nowhere else did Jesus was, you know, had any of this, uh, this type of conversation before. He was not going around tell, telling rich people to sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come and follow him. He just tells this to this young person. And the reason why he did that is because 
when this young, rich young ruler heard these words, the Bible says, and he was sad. He was downcast and very, very sad. And in that moment, when Jesus shocked him with the truth, it exposed his, his misdirected affection, which was that he valued what he had more than he valued God. He valued what he had more than he valued God. So Jesus shocked him with the truth. John chapter 8, you know, there's a, a group of people that come and find Jesus Christ in the temple. And uh, they bring a woman and they say this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And uh, Moses said we should stone her. And Jesus looks down and he says to them, you know, if there is anyone of you who has not sinned before, let him be the first to stone her. And one by one, they left her and was gone. And Jesus didn't even like engage into, okay, let's talk, let's talk about that law. You know, Jesus was uh, a fan of, you have heard it said, but I say, this time he's not saying that. He's not saying, you have heard it said, but he just shocked them with the truth and they realize in that moment that they love their own self-righteousness than their own willingness to look into their own sin because these guys had an opportunity had an opportunity to throw down their stones and kneel at the feet of Jesus but then they went out of his presence and the biggest shocker of all that Jesus Christ put off was on the cross when he went up there on the cross. Now you remember that Jesus Christ was arrested and killed because of envy. Uh, Jesus Christ was arrested and killed because of envy. The religious people were so envious of Jesus and they said, we need to get this guy arrested. You know, we need to get this. So they did. And they killed him, crucified him on there. And scripture talks about uh, when you're reading Matthew 27, 54, it talks about uh, that there was a centurion and other people around him. And when they looked at Jesus, they said, indeed, this was the son of God. We've got it all wrong. Their own envy was put out on display. They killed an innocent man. And Jesus Christ shocks them so that they could see where their affections are. They are not on God at all. They're not doing this for God. So Jesus shocks us with the truth to expose our misdirected affections. And that when we are shocked by God's truth, we realize that we are so deep in our own sin. And our response can either be running away or can be throwing stones and kneel at the feet of Jesus. That we need mercy. We need mercy, Lord. You can either run away or kneel at his feet. Because our walk with God, our walk with Jesus is a walk of growing in our own affections for God. You know, when we are dropping our lives for other things, and that we are lavishing our love for God, that Jesus Christ is the one that we love the most, more than our own image. We love him the most, more than our own reputation. We love him uh, the most, more than our money. That we love him, uh, love him the most, more than anything else. So sometimes, we can lose sight, and lose track, and he will shock us with the truth. He will zap us with the truth. So that when we see what he has done. We can see how the depth of our sin is. And some of you. 
the shock could actually be in the consequence of the sin itself. So you took a picture and you thought you're sending it uh, to your girlfriend and then ends up in the family WhatsApp group. And then you say, wrong parking. But, you know, the shame, the embarrassment, and people are like, wrong parking or not, you're not, you're not, you're not supposed to be parking this anyway. You're not supposed to be packing this anyway. And in, it's in that shame, it's in that embarrassment, when you're shocked in that moment, that you can realize the depth of your own sin. So Nehemiah was so shocked, was so shocked, and he did some shocking things. He did some shocking things, and God probably allowed him to do this. And to be honest, probably he was just trying to do his best as well, uh, you know, to bring people to, to light uh, you know, but this brought into people a, a realization that they have so fallen into their own sin and they needed to be shocked with the truth of God. And finally, the shocking grace, the shocking grace. Uh, let's, you know, Nehemiah responded this way to sin, uh, but Jesus Christ has a different response, you know, to sin. Nehemiah actually was supposed to be the last book of the, New, uh, of the Old Testament because when you finish this, there will be 400 years of silence. But after 400 years of silence, Jesus Christ appears. Jesus comes in and he appears. And Jesus Christ shocks us with his grace that he loves sinners, those who do not deserve his love. That he shocks us with his grace. That he loves those who do not deserve to be loved. You might be right now in that moment. Where you feel like you're drowning in your own sin. Where you feel like, how am I going to get out of this? I you know, take a step uh, forward and then I, I, I go back into it. One week, fine. And then the other week, back into it. But where your effort fails, God's, gra God's grace continues. Where your effort fails, God's grace continues. And when we read this story, we are just reminded of our own walk. You know, the Israelites, how they neglect the Sabbath, how they neglect the very commitments they made. And it happens to us often that, you know, we, you know, there are times that we are like excited for God and we want to do things for God and we make commitments to God and want to serve Him. But then we fail and we feel just like a mess. And yes, you messed up. Yes, you made a mistake. Yes, you sinned. But where your effort fails, God's grace continues. Through Jesus Christ, God shocks us with his grace. And he did it with Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus, everybody else condemned him. Nobody wanted to see him with Jesus. But Jesus shocks him with his grace. Says, I'm going to come into your home. Because where his effort failed, God's grace continued. And Jesus Christ loves people. You know, loved a woman at the well who was condemned by society. And Jesus Christ says, I'm going to meet up with you. And I will show you grace. Because where your effort fails, my grace continues. Jesus Christ loved me. That during a time when I could not love myself. His grace continued. Where my effort failed, his grace continued. And maybe it will be the same for you. And I hope that you feel God's love for you. Even though you may not feel like you have that 
deep connection with God because you have felt and to know every single time that you have a choice whether to run away and hide or you can come at his feet and he will welcome you. Where your effort fails, Jesus Christ, his grace continues. And we know that Jesus Christ is our better Nehemiah because Jesus does not beat us into change. He loves us into change. He does not come and pull up, pulls our hair up into change. He loves us into change. He embraces us into change. He does not beat us into change. But he loves us into change. Jesus Christ is our better Nehemiah who does not come and throws us out in the house of God because we are living rent free. But he comes and when he was on the cross. Scripture talks about when he was dying in Matthew 27 that the, uh, you know, in the temple, uh, you know, that which was demarcating the temple from the holy place and the holy of holies, uh, you know, was cut in half, you know, presenting that we have full access to God. Jesus Christ, the way he responds to his enemies is that he opens up a door for his enemies that they can come and have access into the presence of God. Jesus Christ is better than Nehemiah. He is our better Nehemiah who does not give up on his followers when they go astray. But he goes after them and seeks them and welcomes them back into the house of God and treats them as though they never did anything wrong. He doesn't say, get away from me. He says, come to me. Come to me. Jesus Christ is our better Nehemiah who does not segregate. He doesn't say, these people can come into the house of God. Those people cannot come into the house of God. He doesn't say these tribes come into the house of God. Those tribes do not come into the house of God. He doesn't say that race come into the house of God. That race do not come into the house of God. He opens up the door and welcomes every single one of us if we believe in him, that we can come to him today. So Jesus is inviting you. And if you are here, maybe you just came today uh, or you love this community or maybe your kids love this church and you're not sure about your faith. You're not sure uh, if you want to believe in God or not. I want to tell you that Jesus loves you and he welcomes you. And do not go out of this place today. Come and see me. Come and meet me so we can talk about Jesus. And that you can learn how to be welcomed into his presence. Where is your place of ruin? That you have neglected the things of God. Where is your place of ruin? That you have neglected the command of God. Where is your place of ruin that you have neglected the love of God? Today, he is inviting you. Welcome home, daughter. Welcome home, son. So we're going to sing together this morning. And we're going to have prayer counselors around. I just want to you know, ask you to, to go to, to these prayer counselors. If you feel like you need God's help. You feel like you're in a space right now where you just want God to affirm his love. God to affirm his grace for you because he loves you and he's so gracious towards you and he wants to be gracious always towards you that you would go and receive a prayer this morning. Thanks for listening to the Flood Church Sermon Podcast. Please send us your feedback by commenting below or by emailing floodlilongwe at gmail.com.